are able. Today's passage is Acts 5, 12 through 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is the word of the Lord. Be God. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you that your presence is here. We, sp- we sung and spoke about your presence, and it has been in this building, it has been in and around us, it has been in our lives long before we even asked for it. And we thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for that, because your presence is sweet, your presence is heaven. If we have that, we don't need anything else. And Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord Jesus, with this word of yours to bear mighty, mighty fruit in our midst. As we dive into and talk about the mission of the Spirit in and through our lives, we find that mission is alive and active. We find that we are spurred on even more to be ready, willing, and able to see it lived in us first and then through us for your name and for your sake, Jesus. We ask, come, continue to be with us. Be with your people. Be enthroned on our praises. Be enthroned in our presence. We ask and pray in your holy, precious name above all names. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, friends. Mm. Repel mics. Better? It's okay. If this goes rogue, I'll just get the handheld later. Well, friends, good morning. morning. It's okay. We did good on the first time, but thank you for trying anyway. (laughs) Sincerely, again, we are glad that you are here. It is an exciting morning, not just because it's the first day of Advent, although that is reason enough. It's exciting simply because we are together. It is always good when God's people are together, whether physically or online. It is always good for God's people to seek his face and his presence together. This morning, to start us off, I want to ask you a bit of an odd question. Have you ever gotten a present you didn't want? (laughs) Have you ever been given a gift by somebody that, at first, you actually had no idea what the thing was? You open the bag, you open the wrapping present, you're like, oh, cool, that's... uh," And they're like, it's an automatic dog feeder, and you're like, great! (laughs) I don't have a dog, <laughs> but thank you for thinking of me, right? Like, but have you ever gotten something, a present, a gift, and you are just, I, I don't know what to do with this, right? Has that ever happened to any of you? That happens to me a lot because my birthday's on Christmas. And so a lot of times people are like, well, we don't want you to feel gypped, so here's, you know, we got you this thing, but also here's a little thing for your birthday, and it's like an automatic dog feeder or something. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to offend you. I don't want to insult you. I just don't know what to do in this moment. I'm so sorry. Please and thank you and make sure the receipt's there. So, <laughs> right? Like, let, come on, let's be honest. If we can't be honest here, we can have fun with it, right? But the idea, have you ever been given something you don't know what to deal with? That's this passage. That's Acts 5, 12 to 16. You read it and you go, what do I do with that? Right? Because it's, it's only four verses. Five verses, excuse me. It's only five verses. 
What do you do with that? What is, what do you, what is God actually trying to show us through that? What was the reason behind Luke even recording that in this big letter of Acts? Why? That's what we're going to get into. But, as always, we want to tell you what we're going towards from the front, from, from the very beginning. And it's this idea. There we go. The mission of the Spirit brings forth tangible hope. Tangible. Tangible. Not ethereal, although yes. Not necessarily emotional and mental, although yes. Tangible. You can touch it. You can see it. You can experience it. Tangible hope. So, what do we do with a passage like this? When you read it, whether it's the first time you've read it or the 100th time you've read it, you are tempted to do one of three things. You read it and you go, that didn't happen. Which, if that didn't happen, why are you bother reading it? If we can't trust that that actually happened, even from the front, how can you trust anything else that's being said? Right? So if you're there, we're going to talk to you this morning about that as well, but that's one place. The second place is, okay, that's so cool that that happened. That's so crazy that we saw God move in such powerful ways in and through his people, but that doesn't happen anymore. And if you're there, we're going to talk to that too, so stay with us. But the third one of us, the third camp, is really kind of a variation of the second camp, which says that's so cool that that happened. Wow, look at all that God did. Look at all that the Holy Spirit did. How come we don't see that more often? How come I don't see that in my life more often? Am I missing it? Is it me? Is it them? Is it the people around me? What, what's going on? How come I don't see it? What's going to help us understand how we address all those three things, and what's going to help us understand this idea of tangible hope is that we have to remember the entirety of the book of Acts. The entirety of the book of Acts is about the mission of the Spirit. Whenever we want to take five verses or a little part of our Bible and try to make sense of it in and of itself, we will fail to do that. No matter how smart we are, no matter how much we read, no matter how much we know, we will fail to do that because that's like trying to function as a body with just a toe or just a pinky or just an ear. It's just a part. It's a sliver. And so to really get at what's underneath, to really get at how this passage even talks about tangible hope, we need to understand that we need to look at the whole picture of the book. And the whole book tells us that the Holy Spirit continues the work of Jesus. Let me say that again. He continues the work that Jesus started. He doesn't just decide to do random things. He didn't just show up on earth one day and he was like, all right, my turn. Right? God the Father had his chance. God the Son had his chance. Now God the Holy Spirit's on the scene. Boom, we're going to do my agenda. No, he continues the work that Jesus started. And he continues it until Jesus comes again. That's what Acts tells us. That's what all of the New Testament agrees with as well, but we see that most in the book of Acts, the whole book of Acts. Jesus started something, he passed the baton onto the Holy Spirit, who in part passes the baton onto us, and we keep that going until he comes again. Now, I'd like to say something to our youth group students, and I'm going to tell you all this morning as well. Just because I said it, don't believe me. Don't. If you ever put your pastor on a pedestal, please do you a favor, do us a favor. Don't. Don't just believe it just because I stood up here and said it. God's Bible is open and accessible to you just like it is to us. Go read it. God's Holy Spirit is open and accessible to you just like it is to us. Go listen and spend time with him. Jesus is open and accessible to you just like he is to us. Go and seek his face. 
But that's what we're going to do this morning, because I don't want you to believe it just because I said it. Although, yes, please do trust me. Don't trust me blindly. Trust Jesus blindly. Don't trust me blindly. Don't trust him blindly. Don't trust anybody who works here blindly. Trust Jesus blindly that he works in and through us. So do we see this happen in the Bible? Do we see this idea of healing and deliverance from unclean spirits happen in the Bible? We've talked about it a lot already from up here because we've seen it show up in the book of Acts before. But let's review that very, very briefly. Do we see Jesus heal? Yes. That may seem kind of like a no-brainer, but you'd be surprised how many times if I have to ask somebody, show me. They can't show us. It's important that we know what Jesus did and how he did it and why he did it. And it's important that we could turn to it and point it. Which friends, and don't take offense to this, without using Google. If you need to use Google, use it. It's okay. But it's much better when we don't have that as a crutch. So can Jesus heal? He did absolutely in Luke 4. And he did so again in Luke 17. Do we see the Holy Spirit through that, through, do that through his church? Do we see the mission of the Spirit continue the work of Jesus until Jesus comes again? Yes, we see that in Acts 3. That was the lame man. That's Peter and John going to the temple. I can't give you any alms. I'll give you what I have. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus. And boom, he walks. We see that in the passage we read today. And deliverance, this idea of being, of pushing back a darkness, of rebuking and removing the presence and the plan of evil and unclean spirits and the work of Satan. Do we see that happen? Do we see Jesus do that? Absolutely. We see that again in Luke 4. That's the temptation in the desert. Before Jesus ever does a miracle, the first thing that happens in his life is Satan comes after him, right? We, we actually understand that. It's called nip it in the bud. Nip it in the bud before it becomes a bigger problem. That's why. That's why that passage is there. Satan's trying to nip Jesus in the bud before Jesus can even get started, which by God's grace, he fails. And that's good news. So we see that, but we see that in Luke 13 as well. Do we see deliverance happen in the book of Acts? Yes, we see that in this passage, and we see that in passages that we'll get to later on, like Acts 13 and Acts 19. But I want to drive this, home, this point home a little finer for you. And Mark 5.28 says this, even if I touch his garments, I will be made well. This is the woman with the, um, she's bleeding for 12 years. This is her speaking in that passage. She's looking for Jesus. She's crawling to Jesus. She's fighting through crowds to just touch his garments, to touch his cloak. Why? Because up until that point, evidenced and believed that Jesus could do it, but she doesn't even need to have a conversation with Jesus, although I'm sure she would have wanted to, and she gets that. She believes so firmly, all I have to do is touch the cloak that he's wearing, and I can be set free. Wow. Man, I, kill, I would want faith like that. I hope you want faith like that, right? So, okay, we see that. But then John 14, 12, this is Jesus talking. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Okay. That makes sense. We have the Holy Spirit. And greater works. Okay, now we have a problem. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Jesus is saying his followers will somehow do greater works than him. How can that happen? How can that be? It's the same Jesus. It's his Holy Spirit. It's the triune God. You ever really wrestled with something like this? How is it somehow that we can do greater works? Here is my running theory. You know why it's even greater and cooler when Jesus does it in and through us? Because it's one thing to believe Jesus as 100% divine and 100% human can do it. That's Jesus. 
Of course he can do it. But then when the Holy Spirit comes in our lives and does it in it through us, we have this shock and awe and wonder. <gasps> Whoa, that actually happened. And it forces a very sobering but very hopeful realization on us that had nothing to do with us. And even through broken vessels and crooked sticks like us, God can draw straight lines. Wow. So yes, greater works. Do we see that play out? Yes. That Mark 5 passage isn't there up by accident. The woman who's bleeding for 12 years touches Jesus' garment and she's healed. We see in Acts 5, what we read today, people are lining the streets and the temple complex, not even to have a chance to talk to the apostles, but just so that Peter's shadow could pass over them. Think about that for a second. Seriously, think about that for a second. Could you imagine walking your workplaces? Could you imagine one day being so bold if you had a relative or a friend or somehow sick in the hospital? And because you're going to go visit them, you get visitation rights. And you decide after you visit them that you're going to use a little free time you have to start walking around the hallways. Not intruding, not necessarily poking on people's private spaces and stuff like that, but just walking across the hallways and trusting firmly that if Jesus calls you to do it, you could just go, you're healed. What? We do not have the audacity to believe such a thing could happen. And yet it did. Why would Luke bother recording that it happened? if it didn't actually happen. Because if this didn't actually happen, he sets us up for failure. If he actually is just blatantly lying here, that undermines everything else he's trying to get us to believe, right? Parents understand this concept really well. If you're, try you're trying to, your to get your kid to learn something and believe in something and do something, you don't necessarily interject a giant lie in the middle of that to try and get them to do what you want. It doesn't work. You set yourself up for failure. So. Yes, while we're going to wrestle with, man, did that really happen or not? It happened so long ago. Is this reliable? That's a conversation necessarily for a different day. But friends, it doesn't make sense that they record this unless it happened. But this isn't even the end of it. Acts 19 that we'll get to, this is the Apostle Paul, who many of you I'm sure know is once the great persecutor of the church before he becomes the greatest evangelist history has ever known. And this is what's recorded of him. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul so that even his handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their disease left them and the evil spirits came out of them. I wanna paint for you a very silly but very powerful metaphor or illustration for you. We all know Dr. George Cox. We all know that he is a practicing doctor here in Rockland County. We all know that he has an office that you can look up and go visit him should you have some kind of doctor need. Could you imagine if for the rest of his days this is how Dr. George Cox ran his practice? Every morning he woke up, he had a breakfast with his wife or read his Bible or whatever he does in the morning. And then he went into the office. He took off his sweater. He put on a chair and then he went home. And all people had to do was make an appointment with Joan. Hi, how are you? Do all the stuff they have to do. And they walk in, touch the thing, boop, I'm better, and walk out. And George could probably charge an extraordinary amount of money for that. <laughs> extraordinary amount, if you wanted to. Or free, whatever you want. That seems like such a ludicrous, who would do that? That's so silly. That's what happened. Think about that for a second. If you think about it too hard, you realize this is probably a little disgusting because his handkerchiefs and aprons are probably used. Ugh. <laughs> and yet, people are clamoring like it's some secret holiday special collective item only on sale on Black Friday to get something that Paul touched because that's all they need. He doesn't even have to be in the room. They don't even have to meet him. If I could just touch an apron he wore when he made bread that one time. I'm healed. 
because of the Holy Spirit's power in Paul's life. Like, that, that hurts to think about. Like, it literally stresses my brain to think about. Because if we saw that happen today, more often, and we'll get there, if we saw that happen more often today in our midst, let's be honest, friends, we would lose our minds. We wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. People would lose their minds. They wouldn't know what to do with themselves. And yet the most mind-boggling thing about all of this is that it happens. And it's happening. And it's going to happen until Jesus comes again. Because the mission of the Spirit is to continue the work that Jesus started in and through his church until Jesus comes again. How could it be? How could that be? That, that's ludicrous. So why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because, one, like I said, I want you to see what Scripture has to say for itself. But two, we have to see the, the narrative, the whole story that's being woven here together. Acts 5, 12 to 16 doesn't just show up randomly for no reason. It's a part of a larger story of what Jesus is up to, what the Holy Spirit continues is up to. But real life then hits. Right? At some point when you're reading the Bible, cognitively, in your mind, at some point, what you read, you apply it to your life. It's a natural thing we do. It makes sense. So at some point, we read that, and then we see which one of those three camps we're in. And we go, I don't know. I don't know. There's something off between my life's experience and the truth of this passage. There seems to be something off. There's a word for that that I think is one of the greatest things that gets in the way of between us and God's truth. And what gets in the way is hopelessness. Hopelessness. As I was working on this sermon, um, it's today being the first day in Advent and knowing the theme is hope, I was really wrestling with, okay, Jesus, is this one of those things that hope is going to naturally fill it, fit in or am I just going to try and force it because I want to include the theme of Advent? And the Holy Spirit's like, no, I got you. I'm like, oh, man, you're great. Thank you. It's hopelessness. And what do I mean by that? What's the picture I can paint for you about hopelessness? I'm going to go through a couple different examples, but I'm going to start with the parents in the room first. Parents, have you ever had a time where you are just struggling to get your kids to understand something? And you struggle, and you struggle, and you struggle, and you struggle. And it could be days, it could be weeks, it could be months, it could be years. And you're like, kid, I just need you to get this. It's not just because I want you to listen to me. It's because I want you to actually be the person God intended you to be. I want you to live a life in a way that is honoring to Jesus and, yes, is actually good for you. Parents, have you ever had a time where your kid was sick and you went to doctor appointment after doctor appointment after doctor appointment after doctor appointment after doctor appointment? And the antibiotics aren't helping and the sleep isn't helping and the 600 different other things that people recommend even though they're not trying to be in your face and they really just do care. All these different things aren't working and you're at your wit's end. I can't listen to my kid cough one more time. I can't listen to my kid not sleep through the night one more time. Have you ever just struggled with something? Little, medium, big, addiction, sins, something else in between, and you're just desperate to have it not be present in your life anymore? Why can't I get these thoughts out of my head? Why can't I stop doing that thing that I know isn't good for me and good for others, but I keep turning to it? You can fill in the blanks. We all have them. 
unfortunately. Have you ever tried to find a solution to the problems in your life and you have tried everything? And I mean everything. And there's just diddly squat. When I was a teenager, I used to spend a lot of time sitting up on the shed of, of my parents' shed. That, that was a silly sentence. <laughs> sitting on the roof of my parents' shed, sitting in our backyard, and I would just stare up at the clouds and I would just ask God, or what I thought was God, all of these questions. And I spent all this time reading all these different books about Hinduism and Buddhism and Taoism and New Ageism and all these different things. Mind you, I grew up in the church and I was just reading these things just to find an answer, to be quite honest. And my Bible would sit dusty. <laughs> and I would be searching and I would be searching and I would be searching. And I didn't have a perfect life, but I can honestly say I didn't have some kind of awful headlines news kind of life. But even still, the deep-seated problems and sins of my life found no solution, no answer, anywhere, anywhere. I'm telling you, you can think of some useless, not useless, you can think of some minute, strange religion or school of thought, like Zoroastrianism, for example. I've read about it. I promise you, I've read about it. And it all just left me empty. All of it. It didn't provide any kind of solution to my heart and soul. None. And it left me the same thing we feel when we can't get our parent, or we can't get our kids to learn something, when we when our kids are suffering through sickness, when the addictions and sin struggles in our own lives. Let me add another one for you, for you kids in the room. When you know you're right about something, but you can't possibly convince your parents that you are right. Mind you, it doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means you're right. You can both be right. But parents and adults sitting in the room, you can remember times when you were a teenager, when you were a young kid, and not that you were perfect, but you remember a moment when you saw your parents do something or say something and you knew, probably because of God's Holy Spirit working in you, that's wrong. That's not okay. That needs to change. And try your darndest and try your hardest and never did. When we encounter all these different things in our lives, it produces one thing consistently across the board. Hopelessness. It erodes our souls. It robs us of the very thing that would produce trust and joy and dependency on our Jesus. It kills us from the inside out. It saps us. It makes us numb. It makes us numb. And life just becomes a chore and an exercise to live through as opposed to thriving, as opposed to seeing Jesus in our day-to-day, -day, following after him and seeing what he has for us, in us, through us, and around us. It becomes dreadful. It becomes awful. You know what I'm talking about. Even if you're not experiencing that right now, and that's okay if you're not. I can be honest. I'm not necessarily experiencing that right now in my life. But some of you are. And you know the weight of these words that I'm saying much more profoundly than I am saying right now. It kills you from the inside out. It is this weight, now no matter how strong you seem to be able to make yourself, you cannot carry it. So what do we do with that? Because I said in the beginning, the mission of the Spirit in this passage is tangible hope. This is Advent, the season we've just entered into. It is the season where we celebrate the birth of our Savior. It is the, the season where we celebrate the greatest miracle ever. It is the season we celebrate where God said all these things that were true and good and necessary for that time, what we call the Old Testament. It 
was true and good and necessary. But I'll say this, hope that is ever actualized is not hope at all. If it doesn't ever come true, you have trusted and believed in a thing that has let you down. And so when God says, I've come to save you, when God says, I've come to change you, when God says, like how Paul annotates in Romans 7 or 8, I want to say, that all of creation groans because all of creation is broken, that when Genesis 3 happened, it wasn't just Adam and Eve that fell, it was everything, everything broke. God says, I'm coming to change that. I'm coming to heal that. I'm coming to redeem that. And I'm not just going to sit up here and do it from afar so that something can trick you into believing that I don't actually care. I'm coming down there. And hope put on skin. Hope became tangible. Hope said, here I am. Oh, light of the world that I am. I've come to push back the darkness once and for all. Jesus is the one who gives us that, right? So we've said before, the mission of the Spirit is continuing to do the work of Jesus. Jesus did it first. Jesus showed us tangible hope. Jesus showed us, I mean, the, I'm the real deal. I mean business. This is not fun and games we're playing. I've come to change everything, everything, forever to be with me. Yes, that's good. That's why I'm amped, because that's awesome. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, would pay a price we should have paid and died a death we should have died, but did anyway because of what? Yes, friends, yes. Love, because he loves us. And what is more hope-giving than the fact that somebody loves you unconditionally? Right? What is more hope-giving than somebody loves you unconditionally? That they would go out of their way to show you that. That may seem like an odd thought for some of us, but we live this day-to-day experience. How many of us hear something, our spouse, our friends, our family, our kids, or whatever, they'll say something to us. Hey, like, you don't stick at that thing. You're actually good at it. Oh, one year out the other. Hey, no, I love you. I'll always be here for you. Oh, one year out the other. We can be so stubborn sometimes and so numb because of our hopelessness. Quite often I find that what actually breaks that is when we show up. Right? Have you ever had, this has happened to me, but have you ever had somebody say, oh, whatever you need, I'll be there for you. And you're like, yeah, okay. And then you're like, you know what, I... I can't cook dinner tonight. This happened, the kids blew up, our work stunk, or whatever. Hey, can you just bring by a slice of pizza? I'd really appreciate that. And then five minutes later, oh, they actually showed up. (laughs) In that moment, something has changed inside of you. Probably a lot of things. One of the things that changed is now you actually believe that they care about you because of tangible hope. I'm not saying words don't matter. Words absolutely matter. But sometimes for us, actions do speak louder than words. And God knows that. So he gave us his word, perfect and eternal forever. We call that the Bible. He gave us his son, who is the word, John 1. He gave us the Holy Spirit that continues to remind us of his word. And all three of those things together work in conjunction to be tangible hope. I will walk the walk and talk the talk. I will show you that hope in me is not misplaced. It will come to fruition, whether now or in the end, but it is never misplaced. Jesus was that hope. And the hope of Jesus did not disappear when he left. You ever think about that? The disciples freak out when Jesus keeps telling them, and then they finally get it, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. This is Jesus. What could be better than Jesus? Jesus. (laughs) That's the answer. He says, I'm leaving you. And he says, it's good that I leave. 
It's good that I leave because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you me. The hope of Jesus did not disappear when he left. It came in a new and powerful way. We call that the Holy Spirit working in and through God's people to be tangible hope. So yes, we have, we have talked about this. We've talked about healing and what may stay in the land of that. We've talked about deliverance. We've talked about these things and we're going to keep talking about these things because they show up in the book of Acts. But friends, don't miss this point that I'm trying to drive home for you. Healing deliverance can and will happen in your lives when one, the mission of the Spirit is being actively engaged in your life, but two, when we have hope in the one who actually does these things. Because again, it makes no sense, I'll say it a different way, but it makes no sense for Jesus to put all this in the Bible. It makes no sense for Jesus to come and die and promise to come again if he's not coming again. It makes no sense. That is a giant waste of time on his part and our part. It is. If it's not, it either needs to be true or false. There is no in between. It has to be true or false. But think about it. If, if you're writing something like this, if you're really trying to put, set yourself up as the savior of the world, this is a pretty bad way to do it. You died. Pretty horrible, bloody death. You occupy four books out of 66 in the book that's all about you. It seems pretty crummy on the surface if you're Jesus. But what is he trying to get at? The mission of the Spirit will be fulfilled. I started it. You're continuing it. You're continuing it. And so the application here is actually the same as it's always been. As we've said in different ways, in different places, time and time again in this sermon series, do we look for it? Do we ask? Is our lens one of hopelessness because of the things happening in our lives and the things happening in our world? Because, friends, that is an easy lens to put on. That's not a shame or guilt set, condemnation on you. It is an easy lens to put on. You've heard from this pulpit before or from the stage before, and I'll say it again. Uh, my family has been sick for months. Months. I'm talking to myself when I say doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment after thing after thing after thing. Right? The things in your lives that you know and hopefully other people in this room know or maybe other people online as well that are driving you towards hopelessness. There are things happening in our world that are ugly and disgusting like the still going on war in Ukraine or the nightclub shooting that happened a week ago. There are ugly and disgusting things still happening in this world that drive us to our knees in hopelessness. And God says, no, 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 let me pick you up. I am the hope of the world. And even though I left, my hope didn't. Things can change. Things will change because I am pushing back darkness in your midst. Do we ask for it? Do we long to see it? Do we pray and petition and pray and petition until Jesus does it? That is worth our time and effort, friends. That is worth our time and effort. Because think about it. There's a pretty cool... Maybe cool is not the right word, but there's a connection. So many different things could have been mentioned in Acts 5, 12 to 16. Why healing? Why deliverance? Why healing? Why deliverance? Healing, I think, is a, kind of a bit obvious. If you're sick and you have a headache, you have a high temperature, you have a cold, you have COVID or whatever, it can be pretty obvious once you start feeling better. So a lot of times, whether it be through medicine or through God's Holy Spirit, when God moves and intervenes in our lives and he brings healing, we can tell. We, and hopefully we go, yes, praise God. Tangible hope. Deliverance is a little bit different. Some of us, quite honestly, and it's okay if you're there, 
Seriously, I mean this honestly. Some of us still wrestle with the fact that the spiritual realm is a real thing. Some of us honestly still wrestle with, can demons really be real? Can Satan really have a target on my back? That's okay if you're wrestling with that. But here's the thing I want to point out by saying all that. Those things very often have a tangible component. Very often those things, I'll use this word intentionally, manifest in the physical. It's no wonder you can see all the times in the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament in different ways, but so we'll say all throughout the Bible, where someone is sick, where someone is going through, they're lame, they're blind, they're deaf, there is a physical ailment impeding them and their lives, which I guarantee you is producing hopelessness in them. And Jesus comes, he doesn't just say, be healed. Or a disciple doesn't just come and say, be healed. It says, demon, get out. And things have changed. Tangible hope. Tangible hope. Because friends, when you read Revelation, and this is how we'll end before we get back into a time of worship. When you read Revelation, it ends with the new heaven and the new earth. The new heaven... Up there, oh, great, the new earth. If God isn't going to redeem and change this, why call it the new earth? If God isn't going to change here and even teaches us to pray that on earth as it is in heaven, if God isn't going to do something here, why bother teaching us that? Why bother commanding us to pray in such a way? If his tangible hope isn't going to come down here and push back and rebuke and get rid of darkness and sickness and depression, and all the things that are maladies against us and rob us of the life that God intended for us, if God's kingdom isn't going to come down and do that in and through us, then once again, for like the fourth time in the sermon, it's all a waste of time. But he has shown time and time again in his word, in the past, in the present, and by God's grace in the future, it's true. Hope in him is not hope misplaced. Hope in him is hope that will be actualized. Hope in him is trusting in the one who can make it tangible. Now, when God says God's going to change my life, yes, that's internally. And yes, that's eternally. But it's also here and now. It's also here and now. The mission of the Spirit is to continue the work that Jesus started in and through his church until Jesus comes again. And part of that is tangible hope. God wants to bring tangible hope into your lives. He showed that when he became a baby and he died for you and he promised to come again. And he continues to do that through his Holy Spirit by looking at the things that would keep us separate from him, specifically sickness and evil, darkness, the demonic. And he says, even that won't get in the way of me and my beloved. Even that will not stand. Even that I will push back. Even that I will deal with it. Not just in some kind of, oh, did I really imagine that? Was, this just, a, was that just a self-fulfilling prophecy? Was that just because I've read and listened to so much of this stuff at this point? I'm just expecting it to happen and boom, there it is. How convenient. No. Because Jesus shows up and he does what only he can do time and time and time again. And praise God for that because I don't know about you, but I could use some tangible hope. I don't know. Maybe you're not there. And if you're not, that's okay. But maybe you can pray and labor on the behalf of those in your lives and around you for them to see tangible hope in Jesus. If you don't need it today, like we even talked about last week, some of us are going to be in a position, maybe two weeks, to sacrifice, and some of us are going to be in a position in need. Some of us are going to be ready to be the tangible hope of Jesus. And some of us are sitting here desperately saying, I need that today. So let's ask. Let's seek, friends. Let's petition our good God who said he would do this anyway. Until it happens, 
until it happens in his good timing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, in this holiday weekend of Thanksgiving, we give thanks to you again, that you are our hope, that trust and faith and dependency on you is never misplaced, you never fail. Your plan, your timing, your power is always good and perfect. And so, Jesus, we ask, we beseech you, we ask humbly, and we ask with everything that we have in this moment, would you continue, not start, continue to bring tangible hope into our midst. Push back the darkness, Jesus. Rebuke the ways, the places, and the, and the plans that evil and Satan have for us. We rebuke the ways and places and evil plans that Satan has for us and our neighbors and our families and our world in Jesus' name. And Jesus, come be that great physician. Come be the one who can heal beyond all understanding of modern medicine. And we can do some pretty crazy things with modern medicine. And yet you can still some even do more powerful things in and through us. And it's not because of us, Jesus, it's because of you. So Jesus, we need hope in this season. Either to be hope for other people on your behalf and with your power, or hope in our own lives because we are hitting our rope's end. Or even hope because we're starting down a path that we know will undo us. Jesus, give us hope. Give us hope. Give us you. We need you. We need you, Jesus. We need you. And so coincidence on this morning, we sung, I speak the name of Jesus. We speak that name over us now. We speak that name over our families and our communities and our workplaces and those online and our counties and our states, our country, all countries in this whole world, Jesus. We speak Jesus. We need that tangible hope that came so long ago to come again. We need that tangible hope to break through in our lives now. Darkness has had its way far too often. Sickness has had its way far too often. Come, Jesus, do only what you can do. Come, Jesus, do only what you can do. Bring healing. Bring freedom. For your name's sake. For your glory's name. So that all who see, all who testify to this reality, join the eternal choir that speaks the name of Jesus. Jesus healed me. Jesus set me free. Jesus broke the chains of my addiction. Jesus restored my family. Jesus pushed back the darkness. Jesus healed my cold that I didn't even ask him to. Jesus kept me healthy in a season where everyone around me was getting sick. Jesus came and changed me. Jesus came and changed us. Jesus, do what only you can do. We ask and pray in your precious name.